Welcome, everyone, to the AI and Business Podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest is Shahar Chen, CEO and co-founder of Aquant. Aquant is an AI-powered tech company that builds a co-pilot platform for service workflows. Shahar joins us on today's show to talk about the role generative AI-enhanced co-pilot platforms can play, particularly in improving B2B customer experiences in field service across multiple industrial sectors from heavy industry to healthcare. Today's episode is sponsored by Aquant, and without further ado, here's our conversation. Shahar, thanks so much for being with us on the program today. Thank you. Thank you for having me today, Matthew. Absolutely. Manufacturing is, is such an interesting sector. I was having this uh, conversation w- with a leader from uh, GE Research the other day, just in that, you know, five years ago, we would have said, oh, you know, they're behind a lot of other sectors when it comes to AI adoption. And I, I really don't think this is the case anymore. And I know this bleeds over into a lot of opportunities that we're seeing on the B2B side, you know, them looking at lessons learned from financial services and applying kind of customer experience experience principles to those workflows. But just for your vantage point at a quant, what do you see as the biggest challenges facing manufacturing leaders, just given the current state of AI adoption in the sector as of 2023? Yeah, sure. And and, and you mentioned it right. Like, you know, manufacturing historically was, you know, one of the industries that was moving the slowest comparing to others. But I think what, what happened in the world, you know, with, with the changes in technology, no one can move slow anymore, right? Technology is changing on a weekly basis and addressing different needs and, and solving problems, you know, as they as they start. I think the, the biggest challenges that we see today in, in manufacturing is, you know, and, and, and it goes across the board, right? Any company that is manufacturing any kind of, of a product, competition is very high, right? At the end, and it doesn't matter what you manufacture, right? If you manufacture a car, or you manufacture a 3D printer or med- medical device, Competition is is very, very high. Most of these devices or most of these products that are being manufactured provide more or less the same capabilities, right? So the margins are very, very low. What happened then is that, you know, once you ship the product, now you need to provide the the support on it. And this is where the big gap starts, right? You know, it's it's with the ability to address issues when your customers are calling to uh, meet customer expectations. And we see it across the board in almost every industry. Part of it is because of the shortage in talent, right? Because, you know, if before somebody joined the company and worked for, you know, let's take HP, for example, right? Somebody would join HP 30 years ago. He would work in HP for 30 years, right? He would get tons of experience. He would know anything and everything there is to know about the manufacturing line, about the products that the the company is manufacturing. In today's world, this doesn't exist anymore, right? Because these these guys with the 30 years of experience, they're retiring. The new guys that are joining, they have no plans on staying for 30 years, right? They're going to be around for two, three years and then going to move on to their next opportunity. So they don't even have the opportunity to gain that kind of experience. And I think this is where technologies like AI are able to come in and, and fill the blanks in order to close that gap. 
Yeah, it's very interesting stuff, especially on the talent squeeze side, because I imagine and I I know, you know, this is a little story out there. It's not the biggest as far as, you know, a lot of the news goes. But I I imagine, you know, the strikes you're seeing with the UAW, things like that. It can't help. We we don't have to get into labor issues today, but I I, just in terms of a skills shortage, a bunch of people being on strike is, is, is not moving things in the right direction. All that said, you know, what you're bringing up there in terms of, you know, the economic the dynamics of, you know, younger folks. I'm I'm 36. I, I don't know anybody my age who who has kept the same job for maybe more than five years. And that's inside and out of manufacturing, uh, you know, factory workers, subject matter experts. That that might be my entire generation. And I think for most people, it's really, you know, you keep the same job for two years and we're seeing manufacturing that it's no different. Just in terms of even where the competition is high, do you think it's also the fact that, you know, at this stage of AI understanding, you know, even my grandma knows what machine learning is. At this point, you know, there's such a widespread understanding for the most part with AI technology that a lot of industry insiders across sectors are understanding that hardware is a huge part of what makes AI tick and that manufacturing has a place in that. You know, they've always been uh, they've been in the backseat, so to speak, as we were saying at the beginning of the episode when it comes to tech. But now they, it seems like they've kind of realized, hey, if we if we really invest and really focus on this and jump ahead to where financial services is, to where healthcare is in terms of AI adoption, you know, maybe we'll be able to grab the wheel here in terms of what makes AI tick, and that's hardware. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think everybody understands it now. Like if if you take you know two three years back, right, you had the word AI being said across the the manufacturing uh, floor, everybody would feel an immediate feeling of scared, right? You know, you hear AI and the first reaction is they're bringing something to replace me. I think today, everybody understands this is not the case, right? AI is not here to replace anybody. It's really here to help us be the best we can at what we do, right? And once you understand that and you're willing to accept that, now you're actually in, in a position to take advantage of things, right? And when you're talking about, about hardware, this is exactly where, you know, the world is, is changing. You know, I, I've been escorting a technician from one of our customers about a year ago, right, to solve some issues. And the guy is, you know, is fixing complex uh, printing equipment, industrial printing equipment, right? So very critical equipment, you know, it's all about making sure that you get close to 100% uptime. And the guy has been working for that company for 30 years, right? And he told me, listen, I know every bit and byte in that machine. I know every bolt in that machine. The biggest problems I have today are network issues because I'm a a mechanical guy, right? I have no idea about networks, you know? And and today it's all digital and you come in and everything works on a Wi-Fi and, you know, suddenly you have a, a, a huge piece of knowledge that you just don't know. Right. This is where AI can help, right? Can step in, can troubleshoot the, the things even before you touch the machine, can guide the end user to solve the problem before even, you know, getting a, a, a senior technician into, into the field. And at the end, impact the most important KPI, right? Which is the uptime. Absolutely. And I mean, something you're touching on right here, and I hear this from our friends in retail as well, is that, you know, especially as you see these generative AI tools really come into play, we're going to start to see the democratization of expertise. You know, the guy who knows what we're talking about is in a meeting right now or is at a conference for four days. So we can't interface with that person. 
But we're looking at a future where that might not matter, where, you know, everybody's got a co-pilot. There's a single data repository for the entire organization. And the person with that question can merely ask the co-pilot, hey, you know, Dave's expertise in this area, would he know this answer or can I just ask you? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit of a, a stem cell of of an example that that might be a little inspecific, at least to manufacturing. But let's actually dive into the use cases here and let let's explore a little bit more. How are you seeing manufacturers leverage data tools to solve a lot of these problems we're seeing? With you brought up three D printers, there's medical devices, there's heavy equipment. How can we see co-pilots really elevate those workflows? Sure. So when I'm looking at AI in general, right, I, I see mainly three areas that are going to have the biggest impact, right? And it, again, it's all tied back to, to, to uptime, right? The first one is predictive maintenance. You know, predictive maintenance has been, you know, the holy grail or, or promise that everybody were aiming for, for, for many years now. Finally, it's achievable. Right. Finally, it has a positive ROI and you can actually get there, especially when you're talking about the manufacturing line, you know, shutting down because of a, a failure in the machine. That's horrible. Every minute is so expensive. Shutting down for about 30 minutes on Sunday night, it's much cheaper in order to prevent the problem before it happens. Right. So it's, it's at a completely different scale. Normally, it can be up to 100 times cheaper. Uh, to do that maintenance, as long as you know, today I need to do that maintenance, right? And which part is going to fail and which area of the machine. The second part is what we're talking, calling, you know, intelligent diagnostic, right? Or intelligent troubleshooting. So the machine already broke, right? It's now off. I need to get it up and running as quickly as possible, right? So guide me through a set of questions to the root cause of the problem, so at least I know where the problem is coming from so I can go ahead and, and address it. This area, especially in the last, let's say, three, four, five years, started to develop massively. And I think the last part, and I think this is the biggest revolution in, in AI, and you mentioned it before, is the concept of co-pilots, right? Because the concept of co-pilots, the, the, the reason I, I really love it is because it doesn't give the AI the position of, okay, you're driving it now. No, it's still the human being driving it, right? The human being is still the pilot. He's still flying that machine. He's still the one that is going to solve the problem. But the co-pilot is really there to help him and navigate and guide him and close the gap on areas that he doesn't know, right? Like the example of the network issues I, I gave you before, right? And if before, you know, in order to get to a problem, you had to go and open a 400 pages document, you don't need that anymore, right? Because now all you need is to ask a question, like you're asking an expert standing next to you. You ask the question, you get the response right away. You don't understand the response, you ask a follow-up question. I mean, everybody today are playing with ChatGPT and, and amazed by the fact of, you know, the fact that you can ask almost anything around it. When you're talking about co-pilots for specific industries like manufacturing or service or any of these, it becomes even more critical that the answer will be accurate, that will answer the answer will cut the time for you to get to the right answer without you know calling the guy that might be on a conference call for four hours. Or maybe the guy retired yesterday, right? He's no longer available, but you still have the knowledge. So if the knowledge in the past used to be in the head of people, right, in their mind as an experience that they gain, 
Now that knowledge is the IP of the company. It's the IP of the manufacturing company, and it stays in the organization forever. Right. I think you're expanding on the example I brought up before of, you know, Dave's in a meeting. We can't we can't get that expertise right now. But if I ask my co-pilot, I can, you know, like what this really means for the entire organization. But let's even take that last use case and kind of, you know, apply it to the first two, because it seems like there's some crossover there. Or at least what I'm trying to really nail down is how would B2B customer experiences and workflows and how would those solutions differ from, you know, what we see in B2C, which I know everybody really considers a very hard line. You know, when I talk to our friends in financial services, they're like, this is, you know, B2C is very different from B2B and we wouldn't, we wouldn't know that, but this is your bread and butter. So what do you, what do you see as the, the real strong differences there just in terms of how the technology executes? So I, I think in B2C or, or when you compare B2C and B2B, right? In B2B, the, the biggest issue you have is that you cannot be, you know, just okay in your answer, right? Everything has to be bulletproof because if, if you have a medical device that just failed, right? Sometimes you have a patient on the bed, right? You cannot give something that is, yeah, around the answer. You cannot make up stuff by combining, you know, sources of information. It has to be bulletproof as you get that advice the best resource in your is in your organization. So I think the quality of the data and filtering that data into getting the most accurate and correct data, that's part of the biggest challenge that B2B implementations are having today. And the companies that are able to get the, the noise out of the data are the ones that are getting the best results, which today, when you're talking about B2C, you know, if your washer machine broke, and you got water on, on coming out of the washing machine, great, you're going to get some like four answers and maybe one of them is right. You're going to try all four and at the end, you're going to solve it. Not, nothing happened, right? When you're coming to, you know, especially Medivice or construction equipment or any of the manufacturing line, time is, is, is money. And, and sometimes it, it might be affecting life of people, right? If, if you don't solve it in, in time. So speed and accuracy is, is critical. When we work with, with companies and we're looking at their data, right? And at the, in the first conversation, everybody said, you know, we have garbage data, right? And I, I don't like to use the word garbage because it's not garbage. At the end, it's data you collect. Unclean. But it's, it's noise, right? It's right. noise. Noisy. And let me tell you something. Everybody's right. Everybody, 100% of the companies have noise in their data, right? Cleaning that data in a very quick way leveraging the people that have the experience in their mind is the way to shorten that cycle and, and get to the point that you actually have high accuracy. And then the impact is enormous because when you have a young guy that joined six months ago to the company and he's at the hospital standing in front of the MRI and can solve the problem in 10 minutes, that's unbelievable. You know, That's something that normally would take people 30 years to get to that level of skill. So just to pull apart your answer a little bit, it seems to be twofold in that, you know, when you're working with B2B, there's a lot more people to let down, you know, B2C, it's bad. You never want to let anybody down, but B2C, that's one customer versus is in B2B. It's all of their customers and that can have a lot more implications. It also seems like that's driven also by contract to a certain extent or, you know, whatever, whatever your deal is with your partners in your supply chain, you know, this is something 
thing we know how to merge with working with our clients of just maximum communication is is unbelievably important just to make sure that the contract is filled. And it's going to help to have an assistant that's always telling you, hey, this shipment is late right now. It's got real-time data. Just to apply this back to the predictive maintenance use case you were citing. But are those the two forces here? Am I missing anything there? No, no, you, you got it right. And look, time is, is on essence here. And this is also something that changed in the industry. Because if you go five years back, right, the expectation was my machine broke, just send somebody. Right, what companies yeah. ended up doing just to stop the clock and, and avoid penalties, they would just send somebody, even though they knew that somebody is not able to solve the problem, right? Just to stop the right. clock, and then five hours later, they would send the expert. What happens now, customer expectations are at a completely different level, right? Even if you talk about consumer, right? 10 years ago, all we cared about is that the technician that was assigned to, to solve our, you know, cable issues at home would arrive on time. Now arriving on, on time is given. Now my expectation is that you're going to arrive and you're going to solve my problem. I don't want three guys to come to my house. I don't want three guys to come to the hospital and fix that MRI. I want the first guy that comes in to know everything there is to know about that machine and solve my problem. Absolutely. And that's something we're seeing on both sides, B2B and B2C, which is that customer expectations and even on this side of the the table are increasing. And that's really driving a lot of this technological adoption across the board. Shahar, really great having you on the podcast today. This has been really illuminating. Thank you. Thank you so much, Matthew. As always, it's great speaking with you. Before we wrap up today's show, I really hope an underlying theme of the entire episode that I think should communicate to our listeners across sectors is that no matter where you are, if you have any kind of customer experience workflow, whether that's B2C or B2B, customer expectations are escalating. And this is a huge driver of AI adoptions. And if you think your sector is behind and you don't really need to pay attention to this stuff, I think manufacturing is just a case in point example of that really might not be the case. If not now, then in a few years, things are really going to turn around. And I think it's especially telling in the manufacturing sector. I threw in this question with Shahar about midway through the episode that they're coming to realize that hardware is a huge part of the ecosystem that makes artificial intelligence tick. And they can have a huge hand in how artificial intelligence develops if they up their game now and start to understand it and really invest in AI fluency among their leadership, among the folks on the factory floor, the subject matter experts and beyond. And I just think manufacturing is a real case in point of, you know, a few years ago, we still thought they were very much behind, but there's plenty of time to turn this ship around no matter what sector you're in. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today. And we'll catch you next time on the AI in Business podcast.